The one mistake that I think that um, doctors tend to make is underestimating the attorney. That is something that you should never do. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast, and welcome to our new mini-series on medicine and the law. JP and I are excited to bring you this mini-series. In it, we're going to cover in multiple episodes the many interesting, often confrontational, and necessary ways that neurosurgeons and doctors in general relate to lawyers. I think you'll find this mini-series to be exciting and informative, and as usual, just like our Coronavirus and Hell Week episodes, this will be released on a weekly basis in conjunction with our regular episodes. Hi, everybody. JP here with the usual disclaimers. The opinions expressed on the Neurosurgery Podcast belong to the people expressing them and don't represent those of any institution or professional organization. Further, the topics discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice nor the practice of medicine. And finally, in particular for our guests of that profession, the subjects discussed on this podcast do not constitute legal advice or the practice of law. But don't hold that against us, folks. Advice isn't free. Now, let's get started. Welcome back to the Nursery Podcast. As we continue our mini-series on medicine and the law, we're delighted to be welcomed back again by Stephen Sparworth. Uh, last week, Steve gave us an, interest, an excellent introduction, I should say, into what to do when you're being served. And now we're going to go a little deeper into the process of uh, deposing witnesses and court testimony. Steve, welcome back. Thank you. So, Steve, why don't you walk us through what exactly this means, that is, what it means to be deposed, what it means to be taken to court, et cetera, et cetera. A deposition is basically a uh, almost like court testimony in the sense that you are under oath uh, and you will be asked a number of questions. It is basically a fact-finding mission by the plaintiff's attorney. This is their one and only opportunity to speak to you before trial. And so it, it's basically twofold. One is to find out what your story is, what your version of events is, what you contend happened was, um, to offer your defenses and explanations as to what happened, and then also to try to pin you down and to try to get you to admit liability or facts that they think will support their case. And so it, it is uh, typically videotaped nowadays. Uh, the lawyer will be sitting across from you asking you the questions. There'll be a court reporter at one end uh, right next to you taking everything down. The videographer will be at the far end of the table, and then your lawyer will be sitting right next to you uh, to make sure that no improper questions are uh, asked or they, uh, any privileges that need to be asserted. So how would you best advise your clients to prepare for this? Obviously, working very closely with their attorney, reviewing all materials. But for these processes, do you rehearse answers in advance? Can you prepare answers? Yes. Uh, it, and and I'll, deposition testimony is as important, if not more important, than trial testimony. And the reason I say that is because at trial, Every, the plaintiff's lawyer and, and, and I am going to know what you've already testified to because you've done it in your deposition and it's on videotape. 
And so if you try to change your answer at trial uh, in a significant or material way, well, then the plaintiff's lawyer is going to whip out the deposition and say, well, don't you remember, sir, uh, a year ago uh, when you were under oath and I asked you the same exact question and you answered it in a different way? You know, when were you lying then or are you lying now? So deposition testimony is, I think, more important than uh, trial testimony uh, in that respect. And so we do prepare you um, significantly. A lot of times we will actually do a mock deposition of you where either myself or one of our associates will play the plaintiff's lawyer and we'll grill you and we'll grill you. Uh, typically a lot harder than we think the plaintiff's lawyer is going to grill you. Um, sometimes these sessions are videotaped and then we'll send the videotape home with you so that you can see, okay, yeah, I probably need to, to, to answer the question a little bit differently um, that. So there, there's a lot of preparation that goes into it, um, including knowing the medical records uh, backwards and forwards. Sorry, let, let me ask you there, Steve, just to kind of I noticed you used the word grill. In these uh, in these situations during a deposition, since it is the official record to um, you know enter evidence into the trial, how adversarial does this get? Um, you know, we all see uh, television shows and movies that are very dramatic or hopefully dramatized, where people are, as you say, getting grilled, uh, browbeaten, and pressured um, as it, as if the opposing attorney is trying to get you to misspeak trying to get you into a gotcha moment. Does that reflect what can really happen in a true legal process? Or if someone misspeaks, can you say, oh, I, I apologize, I misspoke, let me walk that back? Uh, or does this vary from, from case to case? It, it, it varies attorney to attorney. Um, every attorney has their own method and manner of, of asking questions. Some of them uh, are the finger pointing in the face saying, isn't it true that this, and you know, isn't it true that you committed malpractice by doing X. And there are others that are very professional and just sort of do it as a, uh, a in a matter of fact tone, um, but they've always got the knives out. That's I always tell my witnesses that no matter how nice and respectful the attorney is, always remember that he's trying to get you to admit uh, that you were negligence or admit a fact that he can use um, to, to point out your negligence. So uh, typically, um, I would say the vast majority of them are in the latter category. Uh, they, may, they may get a little bit more dramatic at trial because they're trying to impress a jury. Um, but typically speaking, it's a very professional and civil, uh, uh, a deposition is very professional and, and, and civil um, uh, exercise most of the time. And in those situations where people are more confrontational and, and more browbeating, have you ever seen a, a witness or someone being deposed, or are, I suppose later in front of the jury, perhaps referring to a conflict with a deposition statement, has anyone ever said, well, yeah, I was being grilled. I was under pressure. I, I didn't mean to speak like that and just directly tell the jury that they were under pressure when they gave an answer they didn't like? Yes, although um, sometimes these depositions can last four or five hours, and you know wow. there are there are breaks, but still four or five hours of of being questioned, and so you're bound to misspeak. There, there's no doubt about that, and you're you know you're only human, and so 
there's never a perfect deposition. There, there's never a time where a physician gives the perfect answer to every single question. And so the, their, a jury will understand that. And, um, you know, we, we try to, to, to show that, well, that was you know, one thing in a, in a five-hour uh, deposition. There's always, there's always time and opportunity uh, to explain an answer that you gave uh, to, to the jury. And again, if it's reasonable, they'll accept it. The one mistake that I think that um, doctors tend to make is underestimating the attorney. They might be thinking that I'm a neurosurgeon or I'm an orthopedic spine surgeon. I know more about medicine, this attorney. And so they, they, they underestimate their opponent. That is something that you should never do because the, the lawyers nowadays that do medical malpractice cases from the plaintiff's side, they're very good. Typically, about half of them were defense lawyers that went over to what I call the dark side and started representing patients, whether for financial reasons or otherwise. The other ones, it, it is so expensive to prosecute a medical malpractice action nowadays that really only the good ones do it uh, because it is so expensive. Um, so never underestimate the attorney. Never think that he's just a lawyer and I'm the doctor and I'll be able to run rings around him because chances are that you won't. So that's another reason why you have to be extremely prepared um, during the deposition. Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 very interesting, Steve. This is this is so informative for me and our listeners, because if you haven't had experience, you have to learn this the hard way. And and I've been prepared for depositions before. Fortunately, I've been sued uh, only once. And uh, the, the lawyer was excellent. He prepared me very well. And, and it strikes me that, for example, the Latin word for doctor means teacher. So our mm -hmm. tendency is to, to explain to patients in great detail in an balanced way, an objective scientific way, what's going on and what the options are. And we tend to ramble on and be very informative, right? But I was told in deposition and in court, you do not want to volunteer any information that you don't have to because it probably could or would be used against you, right? So give us some 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 pointers, if you will, on how you handle being deposed, the actual mechanics of it. It it is it is an instruction that we give our physicians is answer only the question that is asked. You are not, based on your testimony, going to convince a plaintiff's lawyer to dismiss a case. In 34 years of representing doctors, I've never had an attorney say, you know what, Dr. X did such a good job during her deposition that I'm just going to dismiss the case. It doesn't it, You're right. That's exactly what we think it would happen, right? We're like, we're going to convince this person that we're right and they're going to stop, right? And 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 that doesn't happen. And so um, the... So we typically say, don't volunteer information, answer only the question that is asked. But there are two ways to answer that. And, and this is probably the most, some doctors take what we say literally. And it, so, so let's say it's a situation where a, a post-op visit is being, is, is being discussed. A doctor's being asked about what a patient said during a post-op uh, visit. And, you know, the, the question is, well, it happened three years ago, doctor. You can't possibly remember, as you sit here today, what the, what the patient said. And again, there's two ways to answer that question. You can answer that the, and say, you're right, I can't, and, and not volunteer in any more information. Or you can say, no, you're right, I can't, 
But I can tell you with 100% certainty that if that patient complained of saddle numbness to me when I was visiting the patient, I would have thought cauda equina and I would have immediately ordered imaging. So there's a point where you don't volunteer information, but then there's a point in order to defend yourself that you have to then volunteer information. And I know it can be it, it can seem inconsistent, but that is one, you know, one area where we really prep our doctors on is when to volunteer and when not to volunteer. Well, Steve, you know, I, I think it's interesting, as Dr. Wang pointed out, the, the word doctor comes from the root meaning teacher. Um, the word lawyer comes from a root meaning a sage, a wise man or a counselor. Attorney comes from a root meaning someone to whom you turn, someone who takes the place of another. And I think this discussion of how an attorney may speak and how a physician may speak just by their very nature and their professional upbringing, so to speak, um, hinges on this different role that we play in our professional lives and, and our personal lives and our interactions with patients or juries. So in your interaction, particularly with surgeons that you have to put on the stand um, in front of a jury, I imagine that there's obviously a range of personalities that go into a field like neurosurgery, but I imagine that you deal with a high number of very technically minded, uh, laser focused, materially minded people who may, while they excel technically and they excel at the science and the art of their craft, they may lack some of those interpersonal skills um, that, as you say, they may literally and concretely answer a yes or no question without thinking to contextualize it and speak in a way that a jury can understand and relate to, or they may professorialize, as Dr. Wang suggested, being teachers. How difficult is it sometimes to coach the surgeon to speak in a way that can be engaging to a jury, or I, I guess I should say be more effective in the legal setting? Is that a problem you often face? It, 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 not not as much as, as you would think. And, and one of the reasons is, again, representing the, the teaching um, institution that I do, that, that, that most physicians teach, whether it's residents, whether it's fellows, whether it's patients. And so during any trial, we make a point of bringing the physician down and stand them in front of the jury and in a way teach the jury, whether it's through blow-ups, whether it's through imaging. Um, but we we always have our not only the not only the defendant doctor, but our experts come down, stand in front of the jury, and teach them. Now, some of people obviously are better at that than others. And so it's our it's our job to rehearse with you enough and 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 to go over and prepare you enough that you're going to feel comfortable in in doing that. Um, and, you know, if, if we feel we put you back up on the stand, if we feel that you're getting too technical, um, you, you know, we'll, we'll dumb it down for, for, for the jury. We'll, we'll, we'll say, well, doctor, can, can you please explain that to the jury in, in layman's terms? And so then, and, and another point, uh, thing that we do is, you know, well, doctor, if, if, if the doctor is, is focusing on looking at me too much at trial and not the jury, you know, we'll say, Tell the jury um, what what you mean by that, and and that's a cue for you. If you hear your lawyer say, "Would you please explain that to the jury?" That's a sign for you to turn and face the jury and have eye contact with them, and 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 talk to them as opposed to talking to the lawyer. So there are ways in which your lawyer will um, will 
make it not so technical and make you not so robotic if that's your personality. But again, fortunately, mm-hmm. most folks in teaching hospitals, um, they're just naturally um, uh, gifted or, or not afraid to get up and stand in front of a jury and, and, and talk. Yeah, so I'm glad we've transitioned from the deposition arena, which is a private interaction with maybe four or five or six people in a room right now to the courtroom environment. And with that, uh, what do you what do you, what is your opinion, if you will, Steve, about how you should present yourself? In other words, how do you dress? How do you act? What do you do in the setting of these often very long and grueling, uh, uh, I should say, court cases? And and my understanding is these cases, and I've never been in a malpractice court as a defendant, but they can drag on for weeks, right? And so you're there every day, eight hours a day, day after day for weeks, which we're not used to. And tell us about like what you, how you prepare your your client, if you will. Well, yeah, and and so, some trials do last two weeks, and 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 so you you know you always have to dress professionally. If, if, if I always tell my clients that if you're at the table with me, and if you're sued personally, you will be at the table with me, is that you have to wear a suit and tie. Um, or it, uh, or or a, a you know business suit dress. You can't come in with jeans and a or just and just a sport coat or something. Um, always remember that there are twelve people on that jury that are looking at you. Um, you know they 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 also look at the at the patient and 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 the lawyers. And so you're you're constantly being evaluated. And so if you're if if the plaintiff's expert is up there, for instance and criticizing you, and you're rolling your eyes, and you're banging your fist on the table uh, and acting childish, the jury's going to see that, and they're not going to like that. They're going to think you're acting childish. So you always have to maintain the the proper um, decorum. It's hard when you're sitting there for a week or two weeks and listening to somebody criticize you, um, but it's just something that you that you have to, to to put up with. You're always under the microscope, and 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 plaintiffs are too. And when you've got a plaintiff that's claiming uh, that they're in constant back pain because the surgery that you performed what um, was was performed negligently, and instead of helping the pain, it worsened the pain. Well, if, if you're sitting there and you're twisting and turning and you're laughing, um, you know the jury's going to going to see that on the patient's point as well. So you always have to ask act professionally. And with the proper uh, demeanor, that there's there's just no other way to do it. You know, Steve, a lot of what we're describing with the trial itself is, in many ways, a performance. You're you know you're you're sharing information live, speaking as you said to twelve people who are watching, listening, and and judging every word that comes out of your mouth and even your facial expressions during the entire experience. Um, for many physicians who have come up in scientific training through university, through medical training, surgical training, um, they may not be used to putting on a, a performance like that, a, an, an act, so to speak, for, for a good purpose, but thinking about their facial expressions for hours on end, et cetera, et cetera. Um, although many of us in teaching hospitals, as you say, give lectures frequently. Um, is there any kind of advice you give to your clients the night before, do, do your do your clients get stage fright, so to speak, or the jitters? And have you had to talk anyone down leading up to a trial? Some, yeah, again, personalities are different, and 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 some um, physicians, d- despite their training and, and and despite the fact they're talking about what they do for a living, they do get nervous and they do get tense. One of the things that we try to do, uh, again, both before the deposition, I mentioned the mock depositions, is before trial you know, we conduct another one. 
And in in that we we tend to use prior testimony, you know, it, to impeach the witnesses sort of like I mentioned before, so that they're prepared for that. The other thing that we do is um, we might take them uh, or meet with them at the DeKalb County Courthouse down and, and, and actually show them what the inside of a courtroom looks like. Um, have them sit in the in the witness stand um, beforehand so you become accustomed to it and, and it's not just you're walking in and it's a completely new uh, environment for you. So we try to make it as uh, comfortable as we can. Some people's personalities, they're just nervous and that's the way they're going to be. What, what we try to stress is, you know, again, even though the lawyer may be good, He's not as skilled and, and knowledgeable about neurosurgery as you. And so you're going to be talking about something that you've done your entire professional career. Uh, and, and so you do know it better than the attorney. And, and we always have themes to our case. Yes, this complication occurred, but given the amount of stenosis that this patient had, this was a known complication. We, 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 uh, consented the patient on it. We told the patient about it. And so we always say, if, if you get concerned or worried, always go back to one of the themes, one of our defense themes. Uh, and, and that sort of um, helps to calm people down as well. Well, I think our listeners are getting a good sense, uh, Mr. Sparwath, about what a high level professional you are, taking people through a, a preparation process, if you will, even going to the courtroom you're right. I mean, not not having ever been there, it would be quite foreign and unnerving or at least distracting. So just to recap again, uh, Mr. Sparworth is from the law firm of Owen Gleaton, Egan Jones and Sweeney from Atlanta, Georgia. They defend Emory University and many other doctors. Um, I want to I want to thank you again, Steve, for coming on the podcast. Um, again, what we are talking about today does not constitute legal advice. Uh, if you are actually sued or uh, service served, I should say, are getting deposed, please do contact your insurance carrier or a uh, trusted legal professional. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Please tune in for our next episode on uh, medicine and the law.